The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back. Another episode of the Rebel Podcast. You got Pooty and P. Nate in Garage Mahal, and we are here with a fun Q&A episode. Uh, so we got some questions that have come in. How are you doing this week, man? I'm doing great. I can't yeah. complain at all. Nice. I have no complaints. That's unlike you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel all discombobulated because I started and is you're it, responding it, to me, which is weird. Is it, but is it normal? Do I normally complain a lot? I <laughs> no, I, I just I don't I don't know. I'm just trying to be funny. I'm I, playing I'm playing the part of host can, here. Can I point out that I'm I am trying to do the CJ Mahaney thing when mm. somebody asks how I'm doing, be like better than I deserve. Uh, I've been trying that, but I, I'm about fifty fifty right now. Where I'm just like, and it's not like because like I like I'm thinking about that every single day, but I think I think it's a good habit to get into because then it'll be like, well, why are you better than you? Deserve? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. And so like I just thought I'd, I I yeah, dropped yeah. the ball there. Hold me accountable. All right. Um, so we are the Rebel Podcast. We're coming to you hopefully on a Wednesday. Uh, we're part of the Rebel Alliance Media Network. There's lots of other podcasts. A few that should be coming off summer break very shortly. Um, but check out all of that, including blogs, video series, Eschatology 201. Uh, you can find it all at rebelalliancemedia.com that'll hook you up with our facebook page with our youtube channel and uh and uh, obviously um if you want to give back to the show uh the show will always be free but uh and all of our content will be free um but if you want to give back to the show because you've been blessed by it patreon.com slash rebel alliance i would encourage you to go there if you want to give back in any way um, so we're going to, we're actually going through some, a Q and a episode and we didn't get as many questions as we normally do. So I thought I'd start off with a rebel Alliance. Maybe it's because we took three months off. <laughs> yeah, maybe people forget who we are. We are the rebels. We know, um, we didn't get as many questions as we normally do. Normally we can't get to all the questions that we have. Um, but, uh, not as many came in this time, which is totally fine. Um, so I thought I'd actually, I'd start off with, it's kind of a rebel news item, but, um, it's, it's, a, it's scary. Okay. Okay. So it, I don't know if you, do you have Amazon Prime? I do it, have Amazon yeah, Prime. Yeah, okay. So you switched to Amazon Prime. Um, and uh, so on Amazon Prime, there's a new documentary called I, comma, I, Pedophile. And what's so interesting about this, um, I've actually sent it to a, a couple of my non-Christian friends and said, watch this movie and then I'll buy you a drink because I want to talk about it. I'm sure that feels weird to them because they then, then it's called I, Pedophile. Um, but my, my point is, and I've gotten into conversations with, with people several times where I talk about the sexual deviancy and that from, you know, um, same sex mirage to transgenderism to gender fluidity to wh- what's the next thing. And we've said for a long time, the writing's on the wall, pedophilia is next. And, um, and in fact, there was a Ted talk I posted on Facebook several months ago where somebody was suggesting this, that, um, that just like homosexuality, just like transgenderism, pedophilia is an unwanted, 
um, sexual preference that people are born with. So none of them have made the, the case and the documentary doesn't make the case that it's okay, but that um, basically the, the documentary makes the case that um, pedophilia is something you're born with. It's an innate desire given at birth and that what we should be doing is encouraging those who struggle with attraction to children simply not to act it out, which interestingly sounds exactly like the livingout.org mentality of like the Sam Albury's of saying, well, homosexuality is an unwanted, we're born with predisposition, uh, as long as we don't act it out, it's okay. And, uh, and I would just encourage anybody, the documentary is super creepy, super hard to watch, but what's interesting is they, they plug people's brains into, plug people's brains, but they put the, the, the brain monitor readers and things light up when they look at pictures. They, they're presenting all of the same science. You and I have been in, in uh, arguments with people who are for LGBT um, active, who are actively um, LGBT activists, and uh, and they talk about the science behind it that they're born this way. We know this objectively because they're plugging all of their same brain waves into the same things and looking at the same things lighting up. So what's interesting is the documentary is now out there. Here's the worst thing: iPedophile is a is a Amazon Prime like sponsored. It's a Prime original. So this is this is now Amazon getting just as woke, right? There, there's this documentary, and now here's the thing: they're not advocating for it. They're simply saying we shouldn't villainize people. It is unwanted. It is something they're born with, and we need to make room for them in our LGBT inclusion. So. LGBTP coming soon to a country near you. Um, super creepy, right? Absolutely. That's unbelievably creepy. Yeah. Um, I, find, I find it very interesting that uh, we take people whose sin has run rampant yeah. and then plug them onto a machine and be like, and then try to justify, oh, they were born that way. Right. When if you, if we took somebody who had watched pornography for 15 years and plugged them in and then showed them the same stimulus uh, things, the same things would happen. And then they would be able to make the same scientific argument. Well, I was born to like porn and it's like, no, it's your sin has run rampant in your life. And we all want an excuse because we, the Bible tells us we all, we all supernaturally know that, that there is a God and we suppress that truth. Therefore we want to take all the things that we know deep down are wrong and we want to make it, Oh, I was born that way. So it's not my fault. It's now God's fault that I'm this way. Yeah. And that's just simply not the case. Nobody, no one. And I'll say, I'll blatantly say this. No one's born gay. They learn it. Um, nobody's born pedophilia. Like, is it pedophilia? Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Nobody's born that way. Their sin makes them that way. The problem right. is sin. And we're the all is- born sinful. We're born into iniquity. Exa- exactly. And then, and actually I think Romans one is the most clear on this, that in our sin, we suppress the truth of God. We exchange uh, worship of the creator for worship of creation. And then God gives us over to a debased mind and we do what ought not to be done. And we exchange natural inclinations for un- in- unnatural ones. And that manifests itself. So that sin that's been working its way out manifests itself in all sorts of, of increasingly perverted ways into homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, pedophilia, incest, bestiality, all that stuff. And this is why Levitical law puts all of those things in the same category. Um, the other thing I would just say, which I think is, is interesting, is that um, without the Bible, without the Word of God, there's no breaks on the sexual revolution. So what I mean by that is that 
So our non-Christian friends, or even our Christian friends who have embraced homosexuality, who have, who have abandoned the clear teaching of the Word of God in order to justify um, consent of uh, homosexuality and lesbianism, um, they don't have a standard to appeal to now to say no to pedophilia. They just don't. They've already abandoned the only standard. So, so now what they'll try to say is, oh, well, it's, it's abuse. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's child abuse. But what's interesting is that the LGBT community has already eroded the idea of consent because um, of they're setting precedent out West in Canada. Uh, uh, the, the man who was sued and um, given a gag order because he kept referring to his son as a boy, even though he wants to transition to a girl. And um, the the courts have already laid the precedent that a 12-year-old boy doesn't have to tell his parents, it's between him and his doctor, whether or not he starts taking hormone uh, pills, whether or not he has gender reassignment surgery. And so consent has already been taken away. You can choose to be a man or a woman by surgery and by hormone uh, therapy at the age of 12. And then they're going to try to pump the brakes when that same 12-year-old wants to be sexually active with a 25-year-old. There's no, there's no justify, there's no justifiable reason for that. They, they've already abandoned because they've abandoned the standard. So that that's the conversation that I, uh, you know, this is news. I would say go watch the documentary. It's super creepy. Um, you know, watch it, but, but you know, uh, be well-rooted in, in biblical truth. Don't be sucked in by it. But what I would say is use that as a conversation starter to all of your friends who have already abandoned God's law in regard to human sexuality. Because without God's law, without that standard, you don't have anything to combat this. Exactly. So, well, how can Stardust stay, say that? Right. Say anything to other Stardust, right? That's right. What is that? That's Jeff Durbin, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Jeff Durbin. Okay, couple questions. Uh, we'll start off with uh, a couple of uh, light ones. Um, <laughs> first of all, I was uh, I was asked um, by a good friend of the show: um, Is Grant's mustache as <laughs> glorious in person as it is in picture? I have some sad news to report. By the time we went and visited Grant. He had no mustache. What? Grant had no mustache. He was sans stash. He was sans stash. Now, I think, I think, because we were there when he was Skyping with the kids at one point, and, he, and his daughter asked him whether or not his mustache was coming in. So I think he's growing it back. But it was cool because we stayed on Fort, fort Hamilton with him, so we need his ID to get in and out of the fort. And uh, so on his ID, his mustache is just glorious. Like it's Tom Selleck style. I mean, it's good. Um, so we all miss Grant's mustache. It's uh, it's a common uh, topic of conversation around the Rebel Alliance. We really, we, it, it, like, we like them, and they put out great content, but we brought them on for the stash. Yeah, we wouldn't have. Right, wouldn't and because of Erica, them. right? We wanted Erica, and we um, we liked the stash. So Grant, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Grant's got a Grant's got a real mustache back. So I hate to disappoint. We did not see Grant's mustache in person, but I imagine it's just as glorious in person, if not more. <laughs> I, we'll, we'll have to. They'll have to have us back. We'll here, have to have him up. Here, have hey, him up Rebel conference. A, Rebel, Rebel conference. conference. Hey, I, Grant, you, if you're listening, you need a stash for the Rebel conference. Like. Right, like that's well, that's just yeah, a, that's is that a, a prerequisite. That, that, yeah, he's got to have the stash going. They only let people with stashes into Canada. <laughs> that's that's true. the way. I I do want to touch it. Like, is that weird? Yes. It's I just want to like. Yeah. I just want to know how it feels because like mine is like I shave it down like the stash part because it tickles the nose. But like I feel I've been told once they grow out like a full amount, mm, they soften. It, it softens, and so I want to know if that's true because like it's it's good. <laughs> 
It's fair enough. So that was the first question we had. That got weird. That did get weird. You made it weird. Particularly after the pedophile. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, Okay. So uh, next question. This one actually comes in from uh, after we did uh, an episode a a little while ago. We were talking about Sunday school. And we we realized, actually, that Sunday school uh, in a lot of the southern states refers to, like, um, adult Sunday school prior to the service. We're all for that. What we're what we were talking against was the segregation of kids from the Sunday morning worship gathering. Um, but uh, in response to that, um, Wes Muborn, who's a big friend of the show, he said, tangent question, I'm with y'all on not separating children from parents during the worship service. What's your take on multiple services that segregates the local body as well, albeit for different reasons? Just throw that into your next Q&A episode or something. All right, say that again. So Wes Muborn asking, what do y'all think... I'm just, I'm just reading. What do you all think of multiple services? Okay. Can I, can I go first? Please. I, I would say I'm against. So I, here, here's my, here's my, here's my theory is I, I, I'm a big fan of church planning. And so I, I, you probably have a real brilliant reason for, for against or pro. Um, I'm against it because I think we're a church family and I, and I advocate for our church families to have meals together, just like our normal families would have dinner together. I think I think our service time together is is a sacred time for our family to be together and worship our Lord together. Yep. If if we're getting to the point where our church needs two services to split to do that, I think the biblical thing to do then is to raise up somebody to take over another church and plant a church. And I I would even say I go as far as to say I don't think you hire somebody in to do that. There's God will raise up the leaders if you're if you're I believe in your church to do that. And you, and you find a way to segregate it and you trust the Lord to do that and you plant a church. How does the gospel spread? Multiplication. We, what, uh, go forth and multiply is the command. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that's the same thing, same thing with the church. When it's big enough, when your family's big enough to move, to need to go to this, you move on. I, I think the problem that I have, the other big problem I have with with multiple services, is it takes the glory away from Christ and it puts it on the pastor. And mm-hmm. and I, there are guys I love, yep. people, pastors I respect and love, who have campus churches, have multiple services, who get skyped into their or or hologrammed in, I guess, to their other <laughs> churches. And I w- and I would say I th- I think there's a there's a danger in that that one they're not shepherding all those people because let's be honest. You're, you're a pastor of a church that's probably now, we're probably over 200 if everybody showed up on a Sunday. Do you know every single person's first and last names? Probably you're getting to the point now where there's enough, like you do, but very many more people, you're probably right. not going to yeah. be able to. Yeah. You certainly won't have time to spend with all of them. That's correct. Because, and then so like, yeah, there's, there's, there's issues there, but like a church of 4,000, a church of 5,000, a church of a couple, uh, like even some of the churches who of our our friends of ours, like 600 in West at West London, 700 West London. There's no way the pastor has time to know all those people. And I think that's, you're responsible for all of your people. So I think there's a time at that point where you have to separate, separate out. Um, and it's again, like I said, in terms of the glory, it's not about making your name great. It's about making Christ's name great. So having another church that does that, amen. Yeah. I, I agree with all of that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think, so I think two services equals two churches. 
Like it's, it's that simple. Um, I've gone to churches where there are multiple services and that's exactly how it shakes out. If, if one day something works out where you go to the other service, it feels like a whole nother church. You don't know everybody. You don't know, you know, it, it really does shake out that way as two different, uh, um, congregations. So at that point, why not just be two separate congregations? Right. And that's not to say you can't share resources and all that kind of stuff, but I think that's exactly right. Is that, and what tends to happen, what's interesting in a lot of churches, they have multiple services and maybe one will be a traditional service and one will be a contemporary service. One will be um, sort of a kid friendly service because they, they have, you know, Sunday school or something, which has its own issues. Um, and the other one doesn't, but um, I think, especially at that point, at that point, you're becoming different churches with different preferences. Like one of the beautiful things of the church is that it's different people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, different stages of life, all of those people who are doing different things and um, they come together to be one church family. And so I, I definitely disagree with multiple services. I, I disagree even more strongly if those different services fulfill different needs and look different. Um, I think you're exactly right. Go plant a church, raise up somebody, send them out. Um, and I think the other thing is, and, and this is certainly true for Crossroads, well, our church is in the middle of nowhere, right? <laughs> Literally, there are cornfields all around. And we have people who travel in from, from various places. And so um, we like that already is our strategy for growth is we, we're not going to go to multiple services. We're not going to grow a big, bigger building. We're going to plant. And we're going to plant in one of those communities where people are, are traveling to come to the church so that there's a church closer to their community. And, and it, like beautiful and amen for that. And that doesn't mean, and I hope, however many churches we plant as I spend my life at Crossroads, I hope that however many churches we plant, we stay together. Maybe we do, maybe we do Christmas banquets together. Maybe we do something where everybody comes together. Maybe we share resources in terms of youth ministries or whatever. Um, but so there will stay a close connection, but they become their own churches because a church is meant to be a church family. Um, so I'm with you on all that stuff. So against, against multiple services. Now, the only time I would be for a multiple service is um, you know, explosive growth where you literally can't do anything else. And that's the only way to accommodate. And it becomes a temporary yeah. fix, right? When, you know, as you come up with other, 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 uh, issues. Now I would just say, um, the only time we'll ever go to two services at crossroads is as a temporary thing. And quite honestly, the second service would become, Hey, this is the group that's going to be planting. If you're interested in being part of the church plant, that's going to be here under such and such a leadership, come to this service because that's how we're going to kind of, um, you know, send our people off. So as a temporary fix, fair enough, I'm not saying it's sinful, but what I'm saying is I, I actually do think it's sinful because it's usually motivated by sin um, to go to multiple services for an extended period or as a long-term solution. Yeah, that's that's kind of exactly. I I love the fact that you clarified because I I felt a little guilty that I said like I didn't want to sound like dead legalistic like right. never. Right. Where I think I think that's exactly the thing. Like we you can't really predict. Like there, there is no prediction for when the Holy Spirit's going to move and all of a sudden yep. be like here's 400 extra people that you didn't plan for. Right. In those situations. You might have to go to three services. Right. You might have to do. But you might have to do that. Yeah. But it's the intentionality of like we're going to two services for. Let's be honest. You, we've all we've all been in the rooms. I'm not even a pastor, and I've been in the rooms where people are like, "How many services does your? Oh, we do a Saturday night and two right. Sundays." And it was like, "Oh, how spiritual!" You look you look way more busy than my pastor. Yeah. Um, Whereas like like yeah. and it's and it's one of those things where it's like it's not about that at all. And I think that's where I have a I have a bigger issue when that's the intention. Right. Where it's like, okay, yeah, you know what, if you're 
If your church is booming enough where you have no choice, amen, as long as the elders of that church are being biblical and have a strategy to end that, I think that's right. when it becomes an issue. Um, okay, so uh, next question was, uh, y'all, it's all these, it's the Americans asking questions. Come on, Canadians, it's, step it's, up. It's, it's, the, the Canadians are too shy to ask because they're like, you know, I don't want to be on, I don't want to be not nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so y'all sent out a uh, petition in Ontario about not having your tax money go to funding abortion. Just wondering how that went. Um, so we did, we sent out, it was petition uh 2051 it was the abortion petition on not using taxpayers money for abortion because abortion is not a medically necessary um procedure and uh the canadian rights of bills and everything that talks about um uh uh universal health care uh which we won't get into right now but um talks about the only thing that's being funded uh by ta- taxpayers money is are uh, medically necessary procedures. So that was the basis for the bill. It was put out by Harold Albrecht. Um, so our parliament doesn't meet over the summer. They come back in September. This bill will get uh, its its hearing and uh, the petition will be uh, presented on the House of Commons by Harold uh, when everything reconvenes in September, whenever it gets put on the floor. Um, and uh, what's interesting is that, so the signatures are still open. So uh, maybe we'll link to this when we send out this show. Um, but uh, it doesn't close for signatures for another week or so. And uh, what's interesting is when it, when it came to us, it had about uh, 1,800 signatures, and uh, it's close to 10,000 um, at this point. Now, we don't want to take credit for all that, but I know oh, that... I uh, it's all us. <laughs> uh, but I do know that lots of our people shared it, and it was shared from shared. I think that that particular post was shared over 30 times, um, which is great, and hopefully lots of people signed it. Um, so uh, thank you for that. It has it carries way more weight where it is now uh, than uh, when it first came to us. So thanks so much for your support, and we'll keep you we'll keep you uh, um, uh, up to date. And we've actually talked to Harold about coming on the show, and uh, I would just say that he uh, he got a lot of pushback for this petition. Uh, it hasn't been the most popular thing he's done. And so I would just say continue to pray for him, for his family, and, uh, and courage and, and all that stuff that uh, we recognize, you know, uh, people like us on a podcast like this, we kind of make our living, so to speak, from being uh, the antagonists in terms of poking the hornet's nest in culture. Um, politicians, it's quite the opposite. And so pray for, pray for his courage and that sort of thing. So yeah, like uh, this is, no, I'm this, not, that's not saying he's being cowardly. I'm just saying it's, it's, he's no, not he, in an easy position. He, he was very not, bold for doing this. In the first exactly. Place. He's not in an easy position because he can literally lose his livelihood for what he did. Totally. Um, whereas like I work in a secular environment, but I'm unlikely to lose my livelihood for some stuff that happens on this podcast. You won't lose your livelihood for stuff that happens on this podcast. I don't know. You say um, some pretty racy stuff, Booty. Yeah, <laughs> including usually. one thing. We, uh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> that'd be funny. But I mean, like it's it's the regular boldness of of like the boldness of those of the people in the in the secular sphere, like Harold, taking stands that will make a difference down the down totally. the road because that's what we're called to. We're called to regular obedience, not something special just regular obedience to the word of God. And I don't know, I, I don't know if he's doing this from a, a faith background or anything like that, but it's steps like this, that if, if more Christians were just taking that slight step where we would see more, I think more change in these things. Yeah. So I'm encouraged 10,000, you know, it's not a huge number, but for a petition in Canada, that's not, not bad. that's not bad at all. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, we did have one eschatology question that came in, and uh, I'll, you know what? I'll answer it briefly, and I'll get you to answer it briefly. Um, but I do want to say that uh, as the eschatology uh, series comes out one by one, um, send your questions in, and maybe we'll do a whole episode on this. Um, there's a Q&A that comes out that will come out at the end of it. Um, but uh, So the eschatology question that came in was, since starting the podcast, right, we've been post-millennial right from the very beginning, but since starting the podcast, has your eschatology changed at all? <laughs> Which I think is interesting. It hasn't changed at all. My understanding has deepened, hmm. um, I would I would say. Uh, I, I'll, if I could answer for you, I would say yes to for you. I think you've taken it more, even further <laughs> than you more had. hardcore, yeah. You got, <laughs> than you, yeah. than you had. Um, for me, I wouldn't say my, it's, it's changed at all. I would say it just my, my belief in it has deepened um, because like anything, the more we wrestle with a topic, the more mm-hmm. we weigh on it. We do, we, we think about it, we study it, we talk about it all the time. Yeah. And to be honest, like <laughs> part of it is that it rings true. So right. the more we study the word of God, the more I see this to be a, a t- right. true thing. So I would say I it, see it everywhere. It, it hasn't, uh, hasn't changed, but it's certainly expanded and, and deepened. Mm-hmm. So I'd answer it. You, um, uh, for those of you who don't know, Chris got an opportunity to preach at Crossroads when I was on vacation, not that long ago. A and, rare opportunity. <laughs> and you, uh, you, you did a really great job. So you're preaching on, um, Luke uh, eight. Luke eight. Yeah, right. You were talking about, uh, Jairus's daughter and, uh, Jesus raising her from the dead. And in talking about Christ's victory over death, you went into, uh, first Corinthians 15 and even more specifically Isaiah 65. You did a really good job exegeting that. And, uh, and it was cool for me to watch you preach on that because I would say that when we started this podcast, that would have been a, an area of scripture where I kind of knew what the post-millennial view was, but I hadn't necessarily dug in super deep to it. And I would just say with how much we emphasize optimistic eschatology, um, to hear, I would say you are now further along than I was two years ago in, in a lot of this stuff, which just shows how much we've both just been um, saturated saturated with it. And I think, you know, and, you know, we not that we want to make a major out of a minor, but the, here's the thing is the more you and I talk about this and the more we try to change people's mind on their eschatology, the more we realize actually how central it is, right? This, this has to do with not just where you place the millennium in regard to Christ's return, right? This has to do with how potent you believe the cross is like this. How powerful do you believe Jesus death, burial and resurrection were? How important was the ascension? Right. I like that's, those are major, like did, um, how, what did Jesus mean by the great commission? Like these are far more central things than I think you and I, either of us thought they were as we were kind of just getting excited about eschatology. Yeah. I would, I would actually say, um, your your position on how things shake down eschatologically isn't a major, but how optimistic versus negative you are about the future of the Christ- right. of Christianity is a major. Right. So, like we we've often said, we have no problems with somebody like a David Platt, a John Piper, who would actually articulate their eschatology vastly different than us. But the common theme we have between us was is the optimism of the advancement of the kingdom right. of how All, big can how, the gospel get? Exactly. How the, big the, can the kingdom get? Exactly. And how so we we would have no problems with them. Yeah. Whereas we do take we do take a bit of a, a 
a, a negative view to like a MacArthur who has a very defeatist attitude yeah. to, towards this, where I would say and that sort becomes of abstinence a, from cultural engagement. That's exactly. right. That's our big thing, which, which is so what, we're happy for inconsistent premillennials. We just don't like the consistent ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think, I think that what I would say is a major and a minor. Um, yeah. whereas like if you're optimistic, how it all shakes down, I would love to talk to you and, and, and we can go over that. But like, if you're negative about it, that's where we, where I would take a, Ooh, this is a, this is a problem area now. For sure. For sure. Um, so, yeah. Um, and the only other thing I would say, and I'll tease this out is, uh, as a bit of a teaser for eschatology 201, one of the areas that have, has actually changed for me is how Christian is the world when Christ comes back. And spoiler alert, I'm getting more optimistic by the day. Um, And so in that series, I go through 1 Corinthians 15 and argue that um, Christ comes back to a world where there are no enemies left to defeat except death and all of the implications that that has. So um, go watch Eschatology 201. After Eschatology 201, I I do want to have a, I do, we should do an episode on that because I want to hear how you lay it out in full because I've heard the, I've heard the spoiler and I've heard you did like a, you came and preached at my small group one time and laid out kind of like the, the for that, like an and you, hour and a and half, <laughs> which was not long <laughs> enough for the record. Uh, my small group goes long, yeah. uh, but like that was, a, that was even new from the last time we had chatted about it right. our, ourselves. So I would love to, I would love to, cause I have questions about that um, because that's, I would say that's one little facet, just how Christian it goes where there, where I would actually say we have a bit of a, not disagreement, but just Difference. basically a different view. Yeah. Um, cause I, I'm interested in mine. So I'm going to wait, but though I'm, yeah. I'm patient enough to wait till <laughs> hear you lay out your case. Cause I would love to hear it. I, yeah. I have one for you that I wanted to ask a question about. Hit me. This is more rebel, a rebel news item, but it's like something that's been ra- like raised. So I wanted to, I wanted to hear your thoughts thoughts on it mostly. Um, so equality and pay. So the (laughs) the women's world cup happened in the summer. I know nobody else cares about soccer at all, but me, um, and (laughs) amen. No, I just, but, uh, the women's world cup raised some issues that, uh, you know, because the the U.S. women's team won, which they they generally do, they're they're way more funded than any other women's nation um, in soccer, and they're actually better at it than than other other countries. But they won, and it became a massive thing that all of a sudden they they at club level didn't get paid what the men got paid, and because the the woke culture has been no all equal, about, yeah. all about equality pay gaps, so pay pay gap, it became a thing. And, it, and what I found interesting about this, like just to put it in perspective, um, the average salary is basically triple for a male soccer a male soccer player versus a female soccer player. They also play more play more games, but in terms of the viewership, eight million people watch the women's World Cup final. To put it into perspective, one point seven billion people watched the men's <laughs> world cup final that it, it so the, the pay gap isn't big enough is what you're saying <laughs> it's well <laughs> interesting interesting enough the amount of money that the u.s uh women's national team took in for the world cup they actually get a higher percentage of the money that's made right. than the men do right and the men get paid triple triple the amount so i just i just want your your thoughts on equal like on on pay equality well chris here's the thing that you're not factoring in you're not factoring into the fact that for generations now men and women have been trained to think that only men can play soccer and so what you're not factoring in is how patriarchal and oppressive the entire uh (laughs) 
system is uh sorry i can't i can't stay in character long enough and chris is laughing at me um i think that would be no no i think that would be their i think that would be their answer but i agree with you so i think um the the pay gap stuff really bothers me for a lot of reasons and i would just say if if you know if one of our listeners is is uh you know engaging in this conversation a lot there's all kinds of things uh, uh daily wire or ben shapiro he does a breakdown um uh, matt walsh he does a breakdown of the pay gap at least in america and what's interesting is that none of the statistics that you hear quoted on cnn factor in the fact that many women work part-time so they can support the families at home some of them choose choose um less uh less uh strenuous roles so that they can still be present for their kids. Um, it doesn't take into account mat leave, which is a percentage of, or it, it takes into account also mat leave, which is a percentage of your overall salary while you're at home raising a child. And so it takes all of those things in and doesn't differentiate. So the pay gap isn't nearly as big as people think. And what it does is it actually flattens things out. So it's like um, women in media make, you know, whatever, 70 70 cents on the dollar to men in media well that also takes into account the fact that you know men have the more significant roles which you can argue that that's bias anyway because people hire male news anchors and not female news anchors you can argue all that stuff but at the end of the day when you start to break down mat leave and part-time workers and all that kind of stuff it becomes like 95 cents on the dollar which is almost in like insignificant enough that why are we talking about it so that's number one and then number two you see this sort of um whenever we start talking about pay gap what we end up talking about is when we never talk about the main thing that people should be talking about when talking about compensation at all and that is competency of work and and i'm not i don't want to say at all that women aren't as competent as men that's not what i'm saying at all but what i am saying is that People get paid differently, and I'm okay with that, and you should be too, but people should be paid um, in proportion to the amount of work and the quality of the work they put in. So if women are working part-time because they choose to stay home to um, parent their children, then you should pay them accordingly, right? Similarly, if a, a man is lazy or incompetent at his job, don't pay him well for it. So... As soon as you start talking about pay gaps in generalizations, I think you lose the an entire um, important aspect of the conversation, and that is competency of work and compensation. So I would just say, if you want to bring to me an example of a woman who works super hard and is compensated poorly for it, then bring that and you and I can fight injustice together. But let's not talk about generalities because there's too many of these factors that get lost in talking about generalities. And if you want to talk about specifics, like the women's soccer team versus the male soccer team, then take into account 8 million viewers versus over a billion viewers. And and, and let's talk about the fact that the women get a higher percentage than the men. Maybe, maybe that's unequal. Maybe we should bump the women's pay down to the same percentage as the men's. Would anybody be okay with that? I don't think they would because we're not looking for egalitarian. We're, we're looking for um, paid according to their work. That's what we're looking for. And that's what the Bible says, incidentally. Amen. <laughs> All right. There you go. Mic drop. Yeah. Um, okay. So that was a quick Rebel News episode. Um, thanks so much for uh, joining us. And uh, it's good to be back. This is three weeks in a row where we are back. We're, we're, out, we're, out, we're out of summer schedule. Um, and uh, we have some cool things lined up that we can't wait wait to share with you so keep uh 
Stay tuned. Stay tuned. I was going to say keep on trucking. <laughs> keep on trucking. Stay tuned and follow rebelliancemedia.com. Amen. Amen.